Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Have you ever been outrageously curious Have you ever wanted to get deeper with a loved one? How about have you ever just wanted to know more about yourself and your own creative process? Well, then, baby, you are in the right place because this is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host, producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, creative coach, all these things. I just really like the creative process and trying to figure out what it means to be a person. And this show is meant to help you claim the word creative, Go after your dreams and really go on that journey of becoming a deeper, more spiritual human being. We explore the creative process, spirituality, mental health, self-development. And today I have an amazing individual with me. You've heard from him before. He is my boyfriend, Timothy Michael Blewett, a.k.a. the feisty rascal, a.k.a. the best actor in the world and my favorite human. Hello, honey. Aw, uh, hello, baby. Thank you for that introduction. Aw, uh, pleased to give it to you. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back on your show. Thanks for having me back. Me too. We're having a really fun day. So my friend, Danielle Robay, who is an incredible host herself, made this awesome question deck that is meant to help people get to know each other better. It's called Question Everything. It's a deck of 52 cards, and it's designed to help people tap into the power of getting curious, which I think is one of the most powerful tools and gateways to creativity. So today, Timmy and I are going to ask each other a few of the questions, and we're doing this for... A multitude of reasons. One is to tap into our creativity. Another is... To question everything. Okay. (laughs) To get curious about each other, I think. We've been wanting to because I feel like, you know, you reach a point in your relationship where you're starting to feel like, well, I really know this person. But you actually don't. Like, you can Mm. always go deeper. We're only nine, ten months in, right? Yeah, coming up on ten months. So we have a lot further to go, but we wanted to get to know each other better and have some fun together. That said, baby... I've drawn a few questions that we can start with. What's your favorite scent? Oh. Yeah, didn't think I'd hit you with that one, did you? No. I there there's a couple, but the one I think the one that is standing out in my mind right now is probably a strange scent, but I was when I was in high school, I was in the theater department. And I, I loved it. I think it really did a lot for me in terms of like my social life and creating a, an identity as a young kid, um, just putting myself out there and taking risks. And it had the theater had its own smell of like dust and wood and screws and metal and curtains, like old curtains. And it was just it's a very unique smell. And strangely, I last year, about this time last year, I was walking along the ocean and I smelled that smell somehow and it instantly brought me back to a time when I was younger when I was like 13, 14, 15 mm. and I was like, "Oh my god, I 
I remember this. This was a, a time of challenge and excitement and adventure and fun and pursuit and friends and family and and theater. So that sense is very powerful for me. Wow, baby. That was deep. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> that answer is so vanilla. <laughs> it literally is. I just love vanilla because it reminds me of the sweetness of life. And I love sweet smells. And this is an interesting fact about me that I don't think you know. No matter what perfume I put on, it always turns into a vanilla-like scent. Hmm. So I could put on a super intense, like, granny-smelling perfume and by the end of the day, once it mixes with my body oils, it turns into like a vanilla or a sweet type of scent. So you're you've got vanilla skin. I've got vanilla skin. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I guess I don't know. I don't know how that happens, but next question. Uh, next question. Okay. What is the title of your memoir for this season of your life? Wow. I might have to ponder this for a second. Do you have yours? Still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you believe it? Question mark. <laughs> she really thought she'd have it figured out by now. Dot, dot, dot. But she doesn't. <laughs> the Jesus years. That could be an interesting one. Mm. The Rascal Returns. What does that mean? I So I not only returned to L.A. because I was in Chicago during the pandemic mm -hmm. for most of the time. And uh, so the rascal returns to L.A. But also coming back into my power. Like mm -hmm. I feel I'm, I'm like awakening out of my cocoon from the pandemic, my COVID cocoon. And I'm feeling alive again and I'm feeling energized back back before everything sort of shut down. So in that sense, I, as I am the feisty rascal, the rascal returns. I love that. My non-self-deprecating one would be holistic success. Mm, that's a good one. Because I'm really trying to find out what success means from a holistic point of view. So instead of just a capitalistic, outwardly driven goal mindset, what does success in my whole life mean? Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to kind of be my own holistic success coach. And I think someday... I'd like to help other people and I'm doing it, I guess, through the show, but like more intentionally do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So finding out what success means inside of myself, finding out what success in my relationship means, what success in my personal and social life means, mm -hmm. what it means for my creativity and what it means for my career. But I think my whole life success just meant my career. And now I'm trying to zoom out and make it a 360 meaning. Yeah, that's great. I buy that. Okay. <laughs> Pay up, baby. <laughs> Do plants thrive or die in your care? <laughs> oh, they, um, they die. They die. <laughs> but I try. I try to help them thrive. <laughs> they die. They die. But I try. I try to help them thrive, said Mr. Greenham. <laughs> I strive to try to thrive. <laughs> and thrive they try. But I, yeah, they, for the most part, like I buy succulents now. I, yeah. I don't buy anything other than succulents because that's where I am in my green thummery. Right. But it, if I, if I'm really trying, I think they do thrive. Like there's one plant that thrives that we have that I, I got um, 
over a year ago mm-hmm. that is thriving, and then there are two that are dying. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'd say. Yeah, one out of three. One and out I of love three that you're bad. still trying for the dying ones. Yeah, I am. I am still trying. I'm giving them ice cubes and water. So one thing I will say about this, because mine also have tended toward death. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except succulents. I did keep a succulent alive throughout the whole pandemic, even when I was gone for months. Mm. And um, I have one now that's still alive, which is great. But most plants tend to die. And there's an app. It's called Blossom. I accidentally paid for a year of it. So if you want to send me a picture of your plant, let me know and I'll upload it here for you. Because it was like $27 for the year and I did not mean to do that. I meant to keep it for like two days. But it is pretty cool. Like You can take a picture of any plant and it will tell you what it is, how often you need to water it, whether it needs direct sunlight or indirect sunlight, all those things. And it's super helpful. And so once I downloaded that and took a picture of the plant I have that's not a succulent that was dying, it went from like drooping, sagging, death to then thriving again. It was like an ET moment when the Mm -hmm. plant started regrowing. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. And the other thing I'll say is I think around the time it started dying, I had a house visitor and it started dying then. And I always thought that was interesting timing because for like the first month I had it, it was thriving. And I do think that the energy of other people affects how your plants live or die. So keep that in mind. Like if you have people around and suddenly your plant starts sighing after it's been okay, it could be the energy shift or not saying like that that person's like evil or anything, but it could be the energy shift that causes the plant to sag a bit. That's interesting. Yeah. Because there's different oxygen being put into the room. Mm -hmm. And energy, literally. Like it's still a living thing, even though it doesn't talk. Yeah. Or does it? <laughs> okay. This one's interesting, especially for those of us on a creative path, which is probably most people listening. What's the biggest sacrifice you've had to make on your path to achievement? That's a really tough question because I feel like as a creative, there are so many sacrifices that you have to make. But the biggest one, it might be going against the grain of society. Mm. I feel like that's probably the biggest sacrifice that I'm continuously making like I keep renewing my contract to go against the social contract like everyone here in America at least has agreed we wake up we go to work from nine to five we make our money we go home for the weekend and that's it and so I'm sacrificing that safety and that social currency of people understanding like this is how we run this is how we operate you're normal you're you're one of us if you're doing this and I'm actively choosing not to do that so i'm sacrificing safety and normalcy and and stability by going against that yeah like the biggest thing of that is for me is the social contract like the understanding Mm -hmm. because people don't get it when you're doing something different that it's hard to like i think I get so upset when people don't support other people. It's why I say I believe in you at the end of every episode, because I don't think that people who are on a different track, there's a difficulty in that track, too, to be sure, in the nine to five fitting into the societal contract part. And I've played both roles. Mm -hmm. So there is a pain and a difficulty to that. But I don't think that somebody who isn't actively pursuing their dreams or a dream that nobody asks them to do. And frankly, it's inconvenient for a lot of people. Understand how difficult it is to get up every day and fight for that dream when most people 
don't understand it and many people don't want you to even do it. Yeah, that's a good point of like fighting fighting for that dream every day. You you get up out of bed every morning and and you say I'm choosing to to fight for this dream. Yeah. There there's other physical sacrifices that I think come along with this like moving, for example. So you and I have both moved away from our families and yeah. our friends and like what we knew growing up. So there's that physical sacrifice that ties into choosing this this dream that's a good point i was going to say something different but i think the number one sacrifice is missing out on all this precious time with my parents Mm -hmm. one time i read an article about how many days you're actually going to be able to see the people you love the most for the rest of your life and i remember i read it before i went on air at sirius xm when i was producing there and i just cried hysterically the entire show Like I could barely get a word out because it just put things into perspective for me. But there was something I recently heard. I executive produced Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. And we had Cheryl Strayed, who wrote the book Wild on the show recently. And she said this thing, and it was one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And it's something I'm thinking about literally every single day. And we talked about it just earlier today. She said, don't let your dreams ruin your life. Mm Mm-hmm. I let my dreams ruin my life so many fucking times. And I think I'm still struggling with like, if I don't achieve this, then my whole life is nothing. But that's just simply never true. And yeah, your life outside of what your dream is still matters. I know I'm on a show that help, I'm, I created a show that is meant to help you achieve your dreams. But you outside of your dreams That's the most important thing. You are the best thing about you. And if your dreams, if pursuing your dreams is sacrificing, is is making you sacrifice who you are and what you love overall, then that's something you have to consider. Like either you choose a different dream, go about your dream differently, change your perspective, make more balance. But I think the biggest sacrifice I've made is I have let my dreams often ruin my life because I was so wrapped up in this outcome or making this happen that I missed out on precious moments, whether it was a moment with my family or missing someone's wedding or not focusing on like my personal relationships and building those like human relationships are the most precious thing we have. And I would say anything that forces you to continuously sacrifice that in order to prioritize a dream isn't worth it because most of the time we're creating these things for people anyway. Mm hmm. And, uh, yeah, if you don't have like really beautiful people in your life to enjoy it with and you're not having human experiences, it's hard to create from a place of authenticity. Yeah. People often say that the number one regret at at the end of people's lives is that they they regret that they worked so much that they didn't take enough time to spend Mm -hmm. with their family and friends and loved ones. And I think that goes for creatives as well of like we our creativity is our work, but we have to remind ourselves that if we're working too hard or stressing too much over the creative process, how much life are we missing out on and how can we change that? We were talking about uh, man's search for meaning the other day. And I think that that's so poignant here of like, if tomorrow you were stripped of all of your titles and people took away your, your identity through your work, they were like, you're no longer an actor or a writer or a podcaster and you have no degrees. You are just you what does that do for you and how does that change your your mindset yeah and for anyone that doesn't know man's search for meaning is an incredible book 
it's my favorite book of all time. It's written by Viktor Frankl, who is a psych, who was a psychiatrist. He passed away and survived the Holocaust. And basically, he goes through and shares his whole Holocaust experience and says the only thing that separated those who survived from those who didn't were the people who survived usually had some sort of meaning in their life that they were striving for some connection with the divine, some relationship they were fighting for, for him. It was his love with, for, with and for his wife. And I brought it up on the show a bunch of times, but there's this striking scene where like the Nazis are stripping him of everything when he walks into the concentration camp and he has this manuscript that he's held to his chest and he's saying, you know, this is, this is my life's work. Please, please just let me keep this. And the Nazi takes it and he throws it in the fire and he, Viktor Frankl, the writer of this book, says, you know, in that moment, I realized, like, I was not a psychiatrist. I was not my work. I was just, like, myself, my connection with God, and how I loved other people. And that was it. I had nothing else. And I think it's obviously incredibly dark and incredibly tragic. But if we can just remember that as we're going about pursuing our dreams, I think it puts things into perspective and makes us realize, like, these little blips along the way, nothing really matters as long as you're staying in integrity with yourself and treating other people well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's go for a fun yeah, one. Yeah, let's get a fun one. What's the story behind your name? What's your nickname and who gave it to you? Oh, Sassy. Sassy Susan, reporting for duty. <laughs> so the story behind like my name, Timothy, well, Timothy means honoring God in Greek. I think. And so my my mother is very religious. And so she was trying to name us, each of us, seven kids after saints. And so (laughs) I'm St. Timothy honoring God. Tell them that you weren't allowed to be called a nickname growing up, because I think that's interesting. Sorry to bury the lead. Yeah, no, it's all right. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, going along with part one of this question is my mom said that she named me Timothy for a reason. She wanted people to call me by my name, Timothy. So Call me by my name. Call call me by by my name. name. So I, I, in school, like the, she would tell all the teachers, like, this is my son, Timothy, and everyone would call me Timothy. But my grandma, her mother, would call me Tim, and that, and that whole part of the family, my grandma, my grandpa, my cousins, everyone would call me Tim. My great-grandma would call me Timmy, which Lauren also calls me, which is I'm very special. Grandma. <laughs> I've been meaning to tell you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but I do find that really special, that my great-grandma, who is someone who is really, really special and important to me, um, she called me Timmy, and then the next person to call me Timmy in my life was Lauren. Is that real? No one else called you Timmy till me? Yeah. Yeah. Aww. I mean, there might have been like one here or there, especially since South Park came out. There were a lot of kids in school going, Timmy. But no one affectionately called me Timmy Aww. until you. And so would you say Tim or Timmy is your most prevalent nickname? Yeah. Yeah, I would say Timmy is probably... Okay. My name is Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) My name means crown with a laurel wreath, which I recently just realized means like don't rest on your laurels. Laurel wreaths were given to people who like did some good thing. So like you got some achievement and you were given a laurel wreath. That was the achievement that you were given. But you can't rest on them because laurels die. Mm. So it's interesting that I've had a life that is so like gung-ho toward achievement. And now I'm trying to unlearn that, but it's literally in the name. So I was doomed from birth. <laughs> <laughs> Laurels. But I was named after my grandpa, 
who was one of my favorite humans on earth. I still feel he's one of my spirit guides. His name was Lorenzo, which is Italian for Lawrence. Lauren is a female version of Lawrence. So that's how I became Lauren. And my nickname, I've got millions of them. (laughs) But mostly people call me Lo or Lolo. That started when I was young. But I feel like it really got canonized uh, when I met Johnny. Johnny and Colleen, my friend from high school, and Paul, Johnny's brother, all really globbed onto Lo. And so I'd say that's my most prevalent nickname. But I also go by Lolo Lonkins D, uh, Sassy Susan. (laughs) (laughs) The list abounds. The list abounds. But Lo or Lolo is my most common nickname. That's cute. Isn't it just so darling? (laughs) (laughs) This one's sweet, baby. What would younger you not believe about your life today? Oh, yeah. The fact that I live in Los Angeles and I work in film and television. Because I remember being a little kid and like seeing movies and hearing about Los Angeles and hearing that this was happening in Los Angeles. Like what I was watching was being filmed out here. And I would be like make playing make believe by myself in our basement, just like no one else, no other siblings, and it would be oh. me and toys and like little little things, and I'd be saving the day. And younger me was thinking, had a dream, like I one day I want to move to Los Angeles and I want to make movies. And now I'm living that dream. So for me to go back in time and to tell my younger self, like one day you will be doing this, is just mind boggling. It's beautiful. I'm happy for younger you yeah. and you now. Thank you. Um, number one, my hair's blonde. Hello. I didn't even think like three years ago I could be a blonde. So, because every hairdresser I went to told me, you can't dye your hair lighter. Oh. I don't know why, but then finally I just bullied them into doing it and it looks great. Yeah, it looks fantastic. <laughs> I think they're always scared that they're not going to be able to do it the way you want to. Yeah. Or they may ruin your hair and it falls out or they don't get it light enough. So I get it. It's got to be hard to be a hairdresser. You got a live one in your seat every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the vapid thing that they would be excited about. I think the deep thing they'd be excited about is that I write music because... Growing up, I didn't know that was something I could do. Even though I did it all the time, nobody called that out in me. No one was like, oh, Lauren's a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And since I didn't play an instrument till I was 22, I didn't realize that I could write music. So I think they would be most excited about the fact that I write music. And honestly, that I have a show because when I was a kid, when I was like in seventh grade, I was just telling you about this. I would always do little like fake shows in my living room. Mm -hmm. And with my friend, Anna Tosopoulos and Katie Stars, we would do like fake talk shows. We call them the Tony and Tina show. And my mom would videotape it. And I think that they'd be so, my little self would be so happy that I'm hosting a show and like getting to talk with really fascinating people and have conversations and laugh and cry and do all the things. Yeah, it's beautiful. What do you know for sure? Wow, that's a tough, interesting question. I mean, I know gravity works. I know that for sure. But does it? <laughs> I think. I mean, no, I think yeah, we're experiencing gravity. Yeah. <laughs> here, it works here. Yeah. Yeah. Gravity works and is consistent with its law on Earth. Yes. That's good. I know nothing. <laughs> I could tell you what I feel for sure. 
But no, as I get older, and I think most people who get older say this, like the older I get, the more I know nothing. I only know what's true for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I is a universal truth. Like there are very few universal truths. Yeah, You can really only know what's true and what's right for you. And it's really not my place to tell somebody else what their truth should be. Yeah, it's very Socratic. Well, I am a little bit of a Socrates of my day. (laughs) He was ahead of his time. He knew that the only thing I know for sure is that I don't know anything. Yeah. I only know what's right for me in this moment. And I might change tomorrow or even maybe in an hour. Yeah, that's a great point because all we have is this moment. And so if you know for sure how you're feeling, like then I think you're you're living to the true potential of your existence. You are being a human being by knowing how you feel in this moment. It's weird because I feel like I've never known myself more. And yet, because of that, I've never been more open. Mm. So I've never known myself more than I know myself in this moment. But because I know myself so well, I've never been more open because I know there's so much that I don't know. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, babe, I've got a lot of fascination. You stick around. You might just see it. (laughs) (laughs) See, the thing that I like about myself is that I go in and out from being like having a deep philosophical conversation to being a 1980s game show host. (laughs) And I think that's what I know for sure. (laughs) What do you need help with most right now? Stability. Oh, baby. Yeah, that's a deep one. That's deep. Say more. Yeah, I think this ties into what we were talking about originally in terms of like, what am I sacrificing? Like, what is the biggest thing that I'm sacrificing? And it is stability because in the the artist's lifestyle, anything can go anywhere at any time in every separate direction. So if there was a way that I could hone in on, on what I'm truly, truly great at and like find a way to let that, I don't know, fuel a fire within me every single day and create some sort of stability, that would be great. And you're a projector. We've talked about human design a lot on the show. And the thing you're meant to do is just, like, find out what lights you up, see that, get fascinated with it, like, really, like, see it in yourself. And then people just start putting it out there and people will naturally start to join the Timothy Michael Blewett crew. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Right now, I need help most with starting. Mm. Like, I need help with, like, I am 80% of the way there in my self-development, in my goals, in my evolution that I'm making. But I need help with that final 20%, which is just pushing my ass through the door and fully starting. And, like, as Lady Gaga would say, Going off the deep end. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Watch as I dive in. Edge of glory. Yeah, I need somebody to take me off the deep end. I mean, yeah, into the deep end. Into the deep end, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's. I think that's where, like, that is the struggle. Like, where you are, more most people are at, where they, if just that little push of getting out there, that leap of faith, Mm -hmm. so important. I actually don't know if most people are here. Like, I wasn't here for a long time. Like, so this has been like a 33-year rev up. Okay. Wow, yeah. All right. (laughs) So I think this is like a much more epic thing I'm talking about, but most people just need a little encouragement, which I think is what I need. So Mm -hmm. yes, we need the same thing, 
But what I'm doing, I feel like I'm about to make a revolutionary change. So I need a lot of support and a lot of belief Mm. to make that change. Yeah, I hear that. Okay, this is interesting. I think this is too deep of a question. So I'm just going to say some of. What is some of the best advice anyone's ever given you and why? And you can also say the best if you want, but I know you don't like those things. Superlatives. Superlatives. He doesn't like superlatives. <laughs> Heard it here first, Heard folks. it here first. Post. <laughs> Heard it here first. <laughs> and how about the worst? Worst advice. What is some of the best advice someone has given you? Recently, it has been that um, Don Miguel Ruiz quote of like, don't take things too personally. Mm-hmm. So I just finished reading the four agreements recently, and that was that's one of the agreements is don't take things too personally. And I I have a knack of taking things way too personally. So reflecting on that and thinking about it is like, oh wow, yeah, I don't I don't need to. Like, why are these things striking me so personally? What is it? What are these false agreements within my own identity mm. that I'm holding on to that are making me take things so personally? or sort of forcing me into a space in which I take things so personally? And how can I break those false agreements and just laugh or laugh it off or have fun or yeah. you know, just, just live with whatever someone is saying because they, they are only reacting or speaking out of their own perspective and life and situation, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with me. True, boo. Why do you think, like, what have you found out? Because there's a, probably a lot of people listening who are also – sensitive deep feelers and can take things personally like what have you found out from these questions you've been asking yourself yeah I've gone way back to some of the first instances in my childhood in which I was hurt or wounded or felt like I wasn't respected or taken care of or wasn't listened to yeah and I've found instances in which there was a really small child that couldn't protect himself and so had to create agreements for myself of just like, oh, well, this part of me is bad or this part of me is not deserving of love. Something like that, that now in my adult life, I can see completely like, no, that's just that's just wrong. That little kid who bullied me to get off the tricycle in preschool because he wanted to turn as soon <sighs> as I got on. he I don't know where he was speaking from, but I that doesn't make me bad or weak or oh, anything. I'm he just go beat him up. <laughs> He, I remember he was wearing a leather Hot Wheels jacket, and he said, "Get off the tricycle! I want to turn." <laughs> and I did. That's that's something within myself of just like, oh well, that that's a false agreement. If if there's a bully, that they're like, you know, get I want this. Hmm. How do I go back and relook and say like, I'm not weak or bad or doing something wrong. This person is just speaking out of fear. Yeah. And you deserve to take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, maybe that's like a big thing about it. It's like it feels like if you're if someone is saying something to you, it feels like it's encroaching in your ability to take up space. Yeah, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, allowing yourself to exist and to yeah. feel worthy of living in your own body and your space. Thank you for sharing that wound. For sharing how you're healing it. And then how how about the worst? What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Get off the tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid Hot Wheels boy. Yeah, if you know what's good for you. I don't know about the worst advice. Maybe maybe I don't know who may have said this to me, may or may not have, but someone just saying something to the effect of give up. Mm. I'm sure I've heard that a couple times. Give up. You can't do it. It's not for you. 
that's really bad advice. Like I, I was thinking about this recently when we were over at um, Liz and Ted's, and we were Liz and Ted. Liz is the one who wrote the theme music for my show, and Ted is her new husband, who's also a wonderful man. And I, we and were, Liz is one of my best friends. We were talking about <laughs> things that we said when we were younger that got us into trouble, and like the first time at home when I said, "Oh man, I totally suck at rollerblading," like that. That was really bad advice to give to myself using that phraseology of I, I suck at this as opposed to I'm not really good right now, but I'm I'm getting better. Yeah. So little phrases like that, I think, are are bad learned pieces of advice mm. that have stuck with me that I could do without. Change your language, change your life. So using self-deprecating language to describe yourself like limiting language instead of being realistic about where you are right now and where you might go. Yeah, exactly. And that's more of like a societal, yeah. like collectively we agree that this is this is advice that we should listen to when it's kind of bad advice. Yeah. For me, the one I've been thinking about a lot lately is something my mom used to say to me all the time if someone was like being mean to me at school or mostly that. She would say, you can fool some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time. But you can't fool everybody all the time. And I thought my whole life she made that up. And then I found out it was Abraham Lincoln. And then I recently found out it wasn't even him. It was another person. (laughs) But I think it's really good advice. I mean, honestly, if you're doing anything in life. Like bullies, for me, I didn't encounter that many growing up. I've encountered much more in my adulthood. And when I was a child, I was bullied by adults. (laughs) Not my parents, but other people. So I think that that's just good advice in general. Because you never really have to like do anything if somebody's being bad to you people will know who they are eventually even if it's in the afterlife like i really believe that in my song rise it's the second single i put out my bridge in that song is and when it's judgment day tell me what you're gonna say you'll be on your knees feeling everything you did to me and the reason for that lyric is because i had somebody in my life who treated me really 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 badly and never realized that they were doing it, never took accountability for it. It was a very, very tough situation to be in. And it really almost broke me mentally. And that song is about that situation. And I was told by somebody during that time period that when we die, we have to have a full life scan. And in that life scan, we have to see and feel everything we've ever made anybody else feel, good or bad. And during that situation, it gave me solace to know that even if that person never could admit what they did to me and never could apologize for how wrong it was, that they would feel it someday in some iteration of their soul. And you don't ever have to do anything. Like, karma is real, and it does come around. And, yeah, it just kind of, like, can put you at peace and, like, send somebody away with love if they're wronging you in some way. And that's something you definitely need to know, certainly when you're pursuing a career in Hollywood, but just in life in general, it's helpful. And worst advice, the first thing that came to mind for me is my first job that I got at a corporation, somebody tried to convince me and they successfully convinced me to not negotiate for more money. And it was actually somebody who was a mentor to me. I know at the time they thought that they were protecting me, but it actually really could have screwed me over because when you start low, it's hard to ever rise out of that because they'll give you incremental raises. And if somebody ever tries to talk you out of getting what you're worth, 
do not let them. That was some of the worst advice I ever got. Yeah, it's really bad advice. Yeah. I was scared, though, so I was just like, okay, yeah. sure, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. What's your favorite story about an ancestor? Ooh. Like our, our personal ancestors? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Somebody else's ancestor. The first man. There are some great ancestral stories that other people have. My favorite is about my great-grandfather. I never got to meet him. He was my grandpa Lorenzo, who I'm named after his dad. His name was Antonio. And he was from Sicily, from Misal Mary, which is near Palermo. And he was a really loving, lovely guy. Every day he would say, every day and every way I'm getting better and better and better and better. Real positive thinker. And was very well-liked. And... His most classic quote that I've heard all the time is, I don't know why, but everybody, she like me. <laughs> and I just think that's so sweet. And I always love thinking like I descended from someone who was well loved and would say that about themselves. That's beautiful. It's really cute. Antonio. Antonio Ribaudo. Antonio Ribaudo. We love him. I love that, that he would say every day, every way, I'm feeling better and better and better. I think that, honestly, if I have to like epigenetically trace back why I am an optimist, an internal optimist, even when I'm really, really sad, is because of that. Mm -hmm. Like I come from people who, who, even when they lived a hard life, believe that every day in every way... They were getting better and better and better and better, and life could get better and better and better. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Shout out to Antonio. What's a lyric, poem, mantra, or quote you hold onto tightly? Tightly. I can tell you what I'm thinking about right now. Like that, because I am so in the moment in this stage of my life. I'll share mine right now. I had the honor of producing an interview with the Indigo Girls recently. And so I've been on a kick listening to their music because they're just such lovely people. Anyway, I've just been really into them. They're just like wonderful humans and write such phenomenal music. And I've been listening to Closer to Fine a lot, which is arguably their most famous song. And the lyric in the chorus is she's asking all these questions about life and trying to find the answer in all these different people and things and fountains. And... <laughs> She finally says, there's more than one answer to these questions pointing me in a crooked line. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. And that's what I feel right now. I have been relentlessly questioning, questioning everything <laughs> for the past year. And the more I surrender to the fact that I don't know and I will probably never know, and all I can do is my best in this moment and know myself as much as I can in this moment and treat other people as well as I possibly can, the closer I am to fine and the less I have to beat myself up for not knowing. Mm. So that one. Yeah, I love that. Deep and beautiful and positive. All right, so mine, the one that keeps on coming back to me in my head in this moment is from a poem by William Butler Yeats, and I think it's called Under Ben Bulbin's Bed. <laughs> which is a strange poem, but and I, I can't remember exactly what it's about. Why but does it's... that sound so like something that you would like? <laughs> it's always just like a weird, mystical thing. <laughs> Under Bad Bulbin's bed. It's about, I think, rebirth and life and, and death and, and springing. But there's one line in particular from it that was passed down to me. So I, I had never read this poem before. And then one of my mentors 
said, there's a line in there, Irish poets learn your trade. Mm. And that has always stuck with me. So this mentor of mine, his name is Norman Taylor, and he's one of the greatest clowns and teachers of physical theater in the world. And he's still alive and still teaching today. And I was lucky enough to train with him and study with him for a couple of years. And I would say we be, we went on to become friends. And he was very adamant that I, I commit this line to memory, Irish poets learn your trade. Because he knew that my ancestors were Irish. And what he was trying to pass on to me was that if your trade is acting or your trade is creativity or whatever your trade is, learn it, know it, go back to it, relearn it, know it, go back to it, relearn it, know it. And so that it becomes one with you and you one with it. And then from then on, it it just becomes a part of you. Your trade becomes a part of you. And then people will know you by your trade and they will know your trade by you. Mm. How do you feel about that? I feel good. I feel like it it leaves room for me to keep deepening in my craft. And it also allows me to come back to basics. So, you know, for example, like if you find something that is Gucci, like, you know, it's Gucci, like the, this someone has perfected their craft and it became synonymous. The name became their trade. The trade oh, became their name. Okay. Something akin to that of like, you're so good at what you do, you become synonymous with your trade. Mm. I think that one's hard for me because I'm trying so hard to like care about who I am as a person outside of what I do. And I think that veers dangerously close on you being what you do. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, I also like to think of this in terms of the Marcus Aurelius quote where he's, well, I don't know if it's a quote, but paraphrasing, where he says like, go like the bees... The bees know that their job is to make honey. They don't question it. That's their job. That's their role in life. What is your role in life and how can you perfect that role and be your best and do it to the best of your ability every day to serve society? So in this way, it's it's like a contract with society. This is what I do and this is what I do really well and people will know me for it. Hmm. I have more questions, but we need to move on. I don't 100% agree with this Okay, one, all right. But I would like to talk about it more yeah. at a later date. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's 100% healthy for the human spirit to be what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we can discuss that later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How would you describe yourself to a stranger? Feisty. That's interesting. I know the feisty rascal is your brand. Uh-huh. But... Tell me why you feel feisty. Um, I think it comes from, like, if you look at my history, a history of actions. Mm. So world traveler, um, works in the theater, mm -hmm. going against the grain of society, self-proclaimed actor and artist and poet, um, getting into good trouble sometimes. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So I, I don't know. You're I like would, a rebel. Yeah. And I, I would just... Like I, I like the feisty rascal because it's fun, it's quippy, it's it cuts right to the point. People are like, "Oh, what's that?" And then there's any number of stories to be able to to tell. Yeah, it's jokey. So you would say you're feisty. Anything else? If they, how I would describe myself to a stranger. So Tim, it's so nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> I'm feisty, baby. <laughs> feisty. <laughs> That's exactly what you said. How would you describe yourself to a stranger? And he goes, 
feisty. <laughs> I'm actually, at this moment in time, I'm not that forward with talking to strangers. I don't know why. Hey, everybody. It's feisty. It's the feisty rascal here coming to you live. <laughs> so cute. I don't know if I would necessarily de- even describe myself to a you stranger. What, what if someone said, Tim, tell me about yourself? And be like, oh, well, I live in Los Angeles and I'm an actor. You know, that's interesting because really, so going back to my like gripe with your quote, uh-huh. the better description is actually feisty. Yeah, there you because go. Because that's more all-encompassing and really shows who you are. Mm-hmm. But yet we go down to where we live, where we're from, and what we do mm-hmm. when we describe ourselves to someone. What if the next time we described ourselves to someone... We said who we were instead of what we did. Yeah. Yeah. Give a descriptor of yourself. Okay. Ask me. All right. Lauren, can you describe yourself to me? (laughs) Sure, sir. (laughs) Well, I'm a quirky, introspective, loving, working really hard to live a deep, spiritual, soulful life kind of gal. I'm 100% Italian. I recently met my family in Sicily, and it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I love people so much. I feel like I was put on this earth to love other people and to help them become more themselves and through being myself and learning how to love myself. And I'm really grateful to be alive in this moment and be here with you. Well, thank you, stranger. (laughs) No problem, stranger. (laughs) Let's see if there's a good one to end with. I don't know if I want to tell you my story. Ooh, okay. Maybe we should end with something good. <laughs> the weirdest thing I've ever done in the car. Oh, baby. Not sex. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's very much not sex. <laughs> it's, it's humiliating. Oh. Should I tell it? No, we don't have to tell what? it. What? But it could to. be funny. Okay. All right. It involves poop. Okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Tim is afraid of poop. <laughs> no. You can see. He's afraid. <laughs> okay. What's the weirdest thing you've ever done in a car? Do you know yours? I don't know mine. I, I'm enamored with the poop. <laughs> so the weirdest thing I've ever done in a car. I think I have told you this story. Maybe. This is a very unfortunate story. Okay. It was... Winter 2015, I had found an audition for a musical on ActorsEquity dot, I think it's org. Um, I got a call back, was super excited about it. It was at or the Gene Autry Theater in Griffith okay. Park. So I was going for my call back, but that morning I'd gone to the farmer's market and got all kinds of great food. So I got a ton of fruits and veggies and some Korean food and a ton of kimchi and sauerkraut and I got back to the house my apartment at the time and I was like you know what I should do this morning drink obscene amounts of water and eat like half of a can of sauerkraut that's a great idea right before my audition I'm wearing a dress to the audition by the way so I get in the car drive to the audition I'm there super early I always get to auditions and callbacks super early And I'd learned this song for it. I was really feeling it. I still remember the song. It was like, trouble in the water, grandfather, I'm so alone. Yeah. (laughs) 
pretty sexy and weird. But anyway, I was super, super excited for this callback. I call my mom, just like tell her what's going on with my day because we talk every day. And all of a sudden, I like reach up to like, or I, I take off my seatbelt and I'm reaching across myself to pull it off of my body. And I feel something happen. And I'm not in control of it. Like my, my body just like ejected something. And I'm like, oh my God, mom, I have to go. She goes, what, what, what's wrong? I go, I can't talk about it. I have to go. Bye. And I'm like, did what I just, what I think just happened actually happen? Yes. Yes, it did. (laughs) I involuntarily, without even knowing I had to go to the bathroom, evacuated some poop from my body. I I had never in my, like, probably since I was, like, three, never, like, gone to the bathroom in my pants. But I did. And I was wearing a skirt. So I had to take off my underwear, obviously, and throw it in the trash. And um, I was able to clean up. And I still went in for my audition. And I didn't have any underwear on. And I even did a kick in my audition. So hopefully they didn't see anything. But it was horrifying, and my mom was really afraid that something was terribly, terribly wrong. But the truth is, you should never, ever, 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 ever eat half of a container of sauerkraut and then wear a dress. (laughs) That's wild. (laughs) It was involuntary. That was the craziest thing. Like, I didn't have to go to the bathroom. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, your body was like, it's time. I felt like an elderly person, you know, when they, like, lose the ability to control their bowels and bladder. Yeah. Yeah, it was very upsetting. Oh, God. I was only 25 or 26 at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Disturbia. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome, babe. I know you love poop (laughs) stories so much, so they freaked him out. On that note. Let me see. Okay, the final, final question. Okay, I think this one's good. This is a three-tier question, and this is our final question. Thank you so much for being with us on Lauren and Tim Ask Questions. (laughs) But here it goes. What compliment do you hear the most? Which means the most to you? And which compliment makes you the most uncomfortable? I think a, a lot of people, I, I hear, you're so sweet. You're so kind. I hear that a lot. But I, I think it's just because of the little things of like holding doors open for people or, I don't know, helping people out where I can. Like, I, oh, you're you're so kind. Thank you. I hear that a lot, I guess. Which means the most to you. Can you tell I don't take compliments well? <laughs> Well, I guess that goes into which one makes you most uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think um I don't know, when people when people see my my heart, I guess it means a lot to me. Like if I if I do something, no matter what the compliment is, and someone says like I see that, I see you. Yeah. In no matter how in what way they choose to say it, it means a lot. And in the moment, I'll probably brush it off, but it absolutely feels really good to hear that to be seen um and uncomfortable which one makes me the most uncomfortable Pro- actually honestly it's when people say that i'm a, a really good actor if i'm on stage and i do something and people say like oh my god that was brilliant or like you're so good it makes me feel really uncomfortable and self-conscious because i think in my mind in that moment like i'm having fun and and whatever and when other people notice it strangely 
it throws me off and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I'm able now at the, I'm at the point where I'm able to say like, Oh, thank you very much and take it and move on. But deep down, like I'll feel good, but then I'll second guess my choice or I'll, I'll give too much to that and try and play it up or ham it up for the next moment. If I'm doing a stage play or, you know, or whatever, it's strange. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you can get to a place where you enjoy hearing those compliments. Yeah, I like I like hearing them in film at the very end of a long day. Then then it's good because I know I can never go back and if other people are really enjoying mm-hmm. it, I'm like, "Oh, that's really great." But if it if it's for a stage play for the theater and I hear it one night, it might make me feel a little uncomfortable for the performance I'm about to do for the next night. That's interesting. So it's what makes you uncomfortable about it is that you have to keep that up. Yeah, I think that's what wow. it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that about you. Mm-hmm. We're learning. We're learning. I hope I hope that you can just feel confident in and and go toward what makes you feel good. Yeah, like a compliment's nice, but the best compliment is when you feel good. Yeah. It is. I'm much better at it. When yeah. I was in my early 20s, I was really bad at receiving any kind of compliment. What compliment do you hear the most? Hmm. I'm going to skip to the one that means the most to me. The one that means the most to me are like just feeling seen. So when somebody appreciates my work, when somebody says I'm really funny, or when somebody says like I've got insightful things to say. Those mean the most. And honestly, like when someone says I'm really funny, when someone says I'm really insightful, like those feel like the most true to me. Weirdly enough, like if somebody's like really complimenting my work, it can make me feel uncomfortable too. But I think it's because I feel insecure in my work and I'm like, do they really mean it? Like, where is that coming from? Like, I don't know what that is, but that is an interesting thing. Like I, it's a compliment I want the most. And also weirdly enough, that sometimes makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know if it's cause I don't feel like I deserve it. Like, but there is something weird there inside of me that like has like a, cause I don't want to be like, yes, yes, I am amazing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But also I do want to say thank you and like hold that. And I don't know where the line is between saying like, thank you. I appreciate it and thank you for seeing me and appreciating what I do and being self-congratulatory. Yeah, it's paradoxical in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think for what I've found for myself is it comes down to the work, mm-hmm. knowing my trade. Yeah. If I honestly have worked through my my bits or my craft or like whatever I'm presenting and I know I've put in hours upon hours of work and someone says, oh my God, that was amazing. There's a part of me that can't be haughty that has to be like, yes, well, it's it's due to the work. It's due mm-hmm. to the practice and the discipline and everything. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the compliment I hear the most, I, I feel like I get told I'm a really good host and like ask mm-hmm. really good questions and insightful questions. And I think I get complimented on seeing other people, like seeing the potential in somebody else, seeing the truth in somebody else and being able to pull that out. So those two probably. And people do say I'm funny a lot, which I love. <laughs> You're hearing. hilarious. Maybe. <laughs> I love hearing that one. It just makes me feel good because I'm like, oh, they get me. Yeah. Yay. Okay, so this has been fun. Thank you so much to my friend Danielle Robay for making this amazing card game. This is not sponsored, by the way. She just sent me one of these, and I, I think it's so cool. And I really feel like I got to know you better and mm. got some good inspiration for future creations and just life in general. Yeah, I feel the same. <laughs> 
Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us at Unleash Your Inner Creative, at Lauren LaGrasso, at the, what is it, Tim? Underscore. You do it. The underscore feisty underscore rascal. There you go. We're going to work on making it less underscores. <laughs> <laughs> and tag us. Like, do a post about the show and tag us, and we'll repost it to share our gratitude. Tell a friend about the show. Podcasts are mostly spread, you know, friend to friend, and that's how things really start to grow and pop off. So we'd love to be part of your friend group. My wish for you this week is that you ask a deep question to somebody you love and see how it inspires you to live differently that week. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. And And we we believe believe in you. you. Bye.